God is good all the time, and I'm glad you're here today, and uh, I want to thank Jamie for doing such a wonderful job of leading us this morning in our songs and our worship. I appreciate him very much. Um, we're continuing on with, uh, with the things that we started here over the last uh, few weeks. We're going to be in John chapter 16 in just a minute. If you want to turn in your Bibles to get there, that would be good. But uh, uh, since we, last week, we, uh, I was not up here, so I'm going to kind of go back and kind of get us up to speed, get us back in the, in the rhythm or in the, the swing of things here. And uh, we've been studying about the Holy Spirit. And as I said uh, at the beginning of this, it's been way back, probably 15 years almost, since uh, I actually did uh, this particular thing. And uh, it's about time for us to get back into it. But I remember that first week, we started with John chapter 14, and along about verse 17, Jesus was uh, talking to his disciples in private. They're in the upper room. It's the, uh, in a few hours, he's going to be arrested. The next day, he will be tried. He'll be crucified. All of those things are, are happening. But he's with the, um, at this point, he's with the 11. Uh, Judas has already gotten up and gone out. Uh, that's over with. But Jesus starts to talk to his disciples about what's going to happen afterwards and talks about the fact that he's going to be leaving. And that brings up this whole question, what happens when you leave? Uh, what are we going to do? And then Jesus has an answer. He says, uh, well, this is where the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, begins to uh, take over where I've left off. And so he's speaking of the Spirit of Truth. He says, the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him. Because he abides with you and will be in you. And what he's saying to his disciples, something new, something different is about to, about to transpire. Up to this present time, the Holy Spirit has been among God's people, with God's people. He's been with you. But very soon, he will be in you. And the Holy Spirit was about to begin something new and different. Part of the new covenant is the Holy Spirit is not just with us, but he is in us. And that's one of the things that... You know, kind of the first thing I wanted to get, wanted to get out there. The second week uh, that, that we came back and talked about this, we were using Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. This is the verse that says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. I made the point that here's a command. It's not a command that we look at very often. It's not a command that we talk about very often. But here's one of those commands that God has for us, and it says, be filled with the Spirit. And what we did in, in that lesson, we basically talked about some things that have to be in place, some things we have to do in order to get ready, in order to, in, in, to expect to be filled with the Spirit. It, it's, not, it's a passive command, but we have to cooperate. We have to let God do this thing for us. Then we came back to Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, the third lesson, and we just talked about well, how does this happen? When does this happen? Being filled with the Spirit. And I, I, I was able to identify for you, I think, from the New Testament and from our own experience, there are basically four times, and there may be others, when God's Spirit does fill a Christian. When we are on the King's business in the Great Commission, Jesus told his disciples, he says, go into all the world, I'll be with you everywhere you go till the end of the age. I'll be there. Well, Jesus laughed. How's he fulfilling that? It's with the Spirit. And as you study through the, uh, the, the, the book of Acts, the book that immediately follows the Gospels, 
you'll see that when, when these apostles are going out and they're doing the things that God told them to do, fulfilling the Great Commission, there were times when they were in trouble. They needed help. And God, or Jesus, kept his uh, promise by sending the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit to speak the things that they did. They were bold. They were courageous when they should have been afraid and running away. And so when uh, we're on the king's business, when we are on the king's business, I think we can expect that same thing, that God is going to help us. We can expect a, a filling of the Holy Spirit when we pray, and especially if we uh, are asking for his help. Jesus talks about prayer in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. He comes to, he's uh, given a parable, and he's talked about it there, and he says, you know, if your fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts to their children, even more, how much more does the Father know how to give the, will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And it, it, it's not about how to become saved. It's about what, if you are saved, how is it that you lay hold of the power of the Holy Spirit? You ask for it. You pray for it. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. That's what the Bible says. And so it, it, it's when we're on the king's business, when we're praying, when we worship, that's what these verses are about right here, Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. First comes the command, be filled with the Spirit. Verse, eight, verse 19 tells us how that's going to happen. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. As we came here this morning, we came for worship, and a huge part of our worship are the songs that we sing. And as we sing those songs, guess what happens to us? If we are, if we are investing ourselves in, in what's happening here, we begin to be filled with the Spirit. Things change, uh, and, and that's why God has told us to sing. And so when we sing, when we worship, uh, we can expect to be filled with the Spirit. And when we open up the Word of God, that was the, uh, the, the other one we talked about last time, just, just that the, the Bible tells us the Word of God is God-breathed. And if it's God-breathed, when we open up the Word and, and we, we start to read what, uh, what's there and understand it and believe it and obey it and all that, we are taking in what God has breathed out. And the word for breath and spirit are the same word. We're filled with God's breath. We're filled with God's spirit when we take in his word. So all of those things are a part of being filled with the spirit. And what I want, to, I want to go forward now. What does the Holy Spirit do? I want to start talking about that for a while. What does the Holy Spirit do? And a few weeks ago, I handed out just a little half sheet like this. Uh, I told you to put them in your Bible. I hope you still got them, but if you don't, there's some extra copies right there that you can pick up later on. You don't have to have one right now. And there's more back there on the table as you go out. But the, there's all kinds of things on here that the New Testament tells us about the Holy Spirit and what we might expect from the Holy Spirit. I'm expecting you to spend some time on your own uh, to uh, take a look at this. Uh, I think they're mostly self-explanatory. There might be some explanation required, but not very much. And just want to remind you, this is not a comprehensive uh, list by any means. Uh, there's, uh, there's more than what's on this list. So we're talking about a, a big subject. Now, a little sidebar here before we actually hit, hit this the way I want to. I'm purposely doing something here that might uh, be a little upsetting or troubling to, to some of you. I'm going to passages that we don't usually go to. And I'm, I'm talking about things using words and phrases that we tend to avoid on purpose, like being filled with the Spirit. I mean, we read that verse all the time, but we don't really talk about it or, or maybe making an application to, uh, 
to, to our present time. We're in, a, in a few weeks, we're going to be coming back and we'll be talking about being led by the Spirit. We don't talk about that, do we? About being led by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. Those are things we stay away from. Why do we stay away from those things? Why do we avoid those words? Why do we avoid those verses? Why do we talk about it? It's because other groups have kind of, I'll say, uh, muddied the waters. They've already gotten in there, and they've built a whole, uh, a whole series of ideas and things around those words and around those things, and, and, we, and maybe they've distorted it. Maybe they've misapplied some of it. Maybe they've done some things with those words that, that we just, hey, now that can't be right. And so we just stay away from the verses, we stay away from the words, the phrases, we stay away from everything because someone's already been there and kind of muddied the waters with what they've done. But he, I, I, and I think we're doing a, a, a disservice to ourselves when we do that. I mean, I understand why we do it, but we're doing a disservice to ourselves. The fact that someone else misapplies or distorts a verse or a phrase in the New Testament shouldn't keep us from using those words or phrases in the New Testament properly. And that, that's what I'm hoping to do. It shouldn't keep us from gaining what truth there is for us in the verse, even though that, that sometimes happens. We stay away from it because we, we don't want to be associated with some uh, foreign idea that, that we say, well, that doesn't belong in, that's, that's not a part of Christianity. But we are interested, or we should be interested, in understanding every word of the New Covenant. And what it means to us and what God is trying to tell us. And we should also be able to identify the times and the places that those things are happening in our lives as Christians. And if they're not happening, we need to find out why and take care of it and do something about it. And so uh, uh, I'm just saying we're not going to stay away from words and phrases and verses and all that because someone else got there first and kind of muddied the waters. We're going to go ahead and look at this and we're going to talk about it. And we're going to try to understand what those words do mean and how they would apply to us and maybe begin to use those words to describe what the New Te- in our own lives what the New Testament's been talking about all along. I want to zero in on one passage today, and it's already been read for us. It's John 16, 7 through 15. And if you would, uh, just kind of follow along here. Where, John, where Jesus says, again, we're back in the upper room. It's the night before Jesus is uh, arrested. In a few hours, he's going to be arrested, and the next day he's going to be tried and crucified, all of that. Jesus talking to the 11 now in private. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, now he's talking about the Holy Spirit now, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you, can, you cannot bear them now. But when, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So here's Jesus in private with his disciples. And in this passage, we could turn to many different passages in the New Testament and ask this question. What does the Holy Spirit do today? 
Jesus is talking about at least three things in this passage we've looked at that the Holy Spirit is doing today. He's promising it at this point. It, has, it hasn't started to happen just yet, but he's promising that it's going to happen. And there are three things that we came across. I, I underlined them in the verses. But basically the three things are this, that the Holy Spirit would convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all the truth, that there was going to be some new revelation coming, some things that we had never heard, some things we did not know, because, and the Holy Spirit was about to reveal that. And finally, the Holy Spirit was going to be all about glorifying me, glorifying the Son. Jesus is talking about himself. The Holy Spirit is still doing these three things in our present time. And I want you to understand, and we're just going to talk about this this morning. Let's talk, let's talk about the first one first. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit would convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit is busy today, and I think that's exactly what he's doing. He's convicting the world about sin. He's convicting the world about righteousness and judgment. Now let's talk about the word convict for just a minute here. And uh, I want you to put up the next verses here. Uh, that's the word that's used in the New American Standard. That's the word that's used in King James. And a lot of the, a lot of the standard versions use the word convict. Convict is kind of a, a legal term for us. And when we think of convict, we kind of go to a courtroom where there's a prosecutor and there's a, an accused and someone's on trial and the prosecutor is trying to convict the guy there, uh, the accused, of, of the crime that he's been accused of. He's presenting evidence and all that. And, and basically what the, what the prosecutor is trying to do, it doesn't matter whether the accused buys it, whether he believes it, whether he agrees with it. And he, he's just kind of there, and, and they're talking about him. The prosecutor is trying to convince a judge or a jury that this guy over here is guilty, that he did something wrong. And, and that's the idea of convict. We're going to convince a judge or a jury that this guy is wrong. That's kind of what we think of when we think of the word convict. But that's not such a good word to use when you start talking about what the Holy Spirit is doing. Because the Holy Spirit is not trying to convict us, uh, con uh, convict us in the eyes of some other person, you know, a, a judge or a jury or anything like that. What the Holy Spirit is actually doing, He's trying to convict us to ourselves. He's trying to prove to us that we are wrong to get us to buy it. It's not, you know, it, it matters what we think. There's lots of people in jail right now who've been convicted of one crime or another, but they would never admit that they were ever wrong. They still believe they're innocent. It didn't matter what they thought. But for us, it matters very much what we think. It's a higher level of proof or whatever, a higher level, uh, a higher standard is being asked for here. It's not just that other people have to see that we're wrong. We have to see it. We have to understand it. And that's what the Holy Spirit is all about. When he comes, he, and so in these versions here, New, New Revised Standard, NIV, uh, Common English Bible. These are some uh, fairly common uh, versions of the Bible translations. Here's how the word is translated. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. NIV, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And, and the common English Bible kind of hits it the best, I think. When he comes, he will show the world it was wrong about sin. In other words, it's all coming back to the world. Yes, the world needs to understand that they are wrong. And so that, that's what the Holy Spirit is about. 
And so the, the Holy Spirit is trying to get the people of the world to agree that they are wrong. It's the mission of the Holy Spirit to prove the world wrong to itself, to convince sinners within themselves that they're wrong so that they can repent and make a change in life. And I, I, I want you to understand what I'm saying here. Every Christian is a convict of the Holy Spirit. At some point in every Christian's life, we have finally agreed with the Holy Spirit. We are wrong. We are sinners. We have problems. There's something that needs to be fixed about us. And if you haven't come to that point, you can't be a Christian. You can't be a child of God. You have to get to that point. And so that's why the Holy Spirit is so busy convicting the world to itself about what, who are you? What, you, what are you about? You're wrong. Well, Jesus goes on to say that the Holy Spirit is proving the world wrong about three particular areas. So now we go to verse 9. He's going to prove the world wrong about sin. Now, and he says, the reason I need to prove the world wrong about sin, the reason the Holy Spirit needs to do this, is because they don't believe in me. Now think about how that, all, how that ties up. The world doesn't believe in Jesus. A lot of the world, a lot of people Jesus talked to never believed in him. They didn't believe in him. They didn't believe what he said about himself. They didn't believe what he said about sin. They didn't believe any of it. Now, so Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is going to say to the world, you've got it all wrong. He is the Son of God. He is the answer to your problem. You have a problem. Your problem is sin. And so the Holy Spirit is busy convicting the world concerning sin because they didn't believe it when Jesus said it. And now it's time for the Holy Spirit to get busy. To convict the world of sin. So Jesus came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent of what? Repent of sin. And here's what sin is. Here's how it affects your life. Here's what has to be done. And the world didn't believe Jesus. They didn't believe in him. Jesus left the spirit to prove to the world they were wrong about sin. The world, the world has a lot of uh, false ideas about sin. And I'm just going to name a few here real quick. Uh, as far as the world is concerned, what we call sin is no big deal. It's no big deal. What are you guys worried about? Nobody gets hurt. Who cares? Nobody's getting hurt, so it's nobody's business but my own what I do with my life. It's my choice, my decision. And who are you to judge me anyway? Who do you think you are? God? <laughs> and so, you know, the world has a lot of false ideas about, about sin. It's the mission of the Holy Spirit to prove to the world that sin is a big deal. That it's for real. That God is offended by it. That there's, a, there's consequences. Eternal consequences. For this thing called sin. And so it's the mission of the Holy Spirit to prove to the world that sin is a big deal. And the cross. The cross is the, is the ultimate proof. If it took the cross to pay for my sin, then obviously sin is a really big deal. If that's what it costs God to cover my sin, sin is a really big deal. Okay, let's go on to verse 10. Uh, he says he's going to, uh, that part of the mission of the Holy Spirit is to prove the world wrong about righteousness. Jesus not only taught about righteousness, he lived righteousness. So here it says, verse 10, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you no longer see me. Well, what, what's the big deal there? Jesus was the embodiment of righteousness. He was the gold standard. He was it. He was the flesh and blood example of righteousness. So if Jesus leaves, where do we look? Who do we look to? To understand what righteousness is. 
Now the Holy Spirit has a job. Jesus is gone. It's now the Holy Spirit's job to maintain that standard of righteousness. We don't have the flesh and blood example, but the Holy Spirit is busy maintaining that standard. And so the Holy Spirit is proving the world wrong about righteousness because I go to the Father, you no longer see me. There, there needs to be that, that need, that's an ongoing work, something that needs to be done. So the mission of the Holy Spirit is to perpetuate the standard of living that Jesus set. The world had a lot of false ideas about righteousness in Jesus' day. For instance, you have the, the Jewish people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees especially. And they had kind of reduced righteousness to a bunch of rules. Righteousness kind of hinged on whether you washed your hands or not before you ate, or whether you observed the Sabbath properly, or whether you ate the right foods, or you tied from the herbs that grew in your garden, or whether you uh, practiced circumcision, or whether you, uh, you know, gave the right sacrifice when it was time to make a sacrifice. And, and as far as they were concerned, your relationship with God consisted in obeying 613 commandments out of the Old Testament. If you kept those, you were okay with God. Well, you know, the law is important. Of course it is. I mean, uh, God gave us the law, the, the, the law of Moses. But you can carry that to a point that's ridiculous. And that's kind of where the Pharisees and Sadducees had gone. They had to, they, that was the be-all and end-all of everything, was to make sure that you washed your hands <laughs> before you ate or kept the Sabbath by, you know, observing all the little rules they had made. Then there were the pagans and the Gentiles, and for them, righteousness was like uh, a, a kind of a foreign idea. There was no concept of personal righteousness among the pagans and the Gentiles. And the reason being is that they worshipped gods who were much more immoral. They were guilty of much worse behavior than most human beings would ever think of. If, if you understand the stories, you read the stories, the mythologies of the, of the pagan gods and, and, and try to understand what, what they're doing, the, the gods were busy doing stuff that most human beings wouldn't bother with. Evil, really bad things. So there was no standard. And that was the world Jesus was uh, preaching to. Well, the world still has a lot of false ideas about righteousness. In some parts of our world, Righteousness is defined as, as how many peoples, how many infidels you will kill for your God. How many, pe how many heads will you lop off in service to your God? That's righteousness. And in some parts of our own society, right here in this part of the world, righteousness has little to do with personal conduct. Righteousness is like having the right policy ideas, supporting the right laws. And uh, this, uh, and, and you have to think this because th this is something that happened uh, back in the year 2000. Bill Clinton is about to leave office. And Al Gore, the vice president at the time, had the job of, of introducing Bill Clinton. Well, you know, the last four years of Clinton's presidency was kind of a, an exciting time, <laughs> okay? There were a lot of crazy things happening. There were some things that happened, as far as we know, had never happened before in the Oval Office. But... Uh, Al Gore introduced Bill Clinton as, quote, I'm quoting now, the most moral man I have ever known. What? The most moral man I have ever known. And he, he did that on purpose. He had a reason. Now, I don't know if uh, President Clinton had been convicted yet of uh, lying before the federal judge that was handling his court cases. I, I don't know if that had happened quite yet, but it was well on the way. 
And we had just been treated to about two or three years of uh, Ken Starr and Monica Lewinsky and all the things that happened in the Oval Office. And then a whole bunch of other women started coming, coming around and saying, hey, this happened, that happened. Before you know it, you, you, we found out a lot about our president that we didn't want to know. Okay? So how is it that Al Gore can stand up and say, the most moral man I've ever known, the most righteous man I've ever known, you see, he's using a different definition of righteousness and morality than what Jesus did. He had no per concept. He was not talking about his personal life. He was talking about the things that Bill Clinton said in a public way that he believed in and that he would support and that he tried to get passed into law. That was the morality that Al Gore was talking about. Well, all I'm saying is that that's not necessarily where Jesus was when he was talking about righteousness and morality in those things. Yeah, there was a personal side to this. It involved how you lived your life, how you personally treated other people. It's the mission of the Holy Spirit to prove the world wrong about righteousness, to hold up Jesus as the standard of righteousness. That's what Jesus said was going to happen here. And then we go on to verse 11. He says the Holy Spirit is going to, uh, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and now judgment. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, why does the Holy Spirit need to prove the world wrong about the issue of judgment? And Jesus kind of, he suggests that maybe there are some people in this world who think that it's still up in the air about who eventually is going to win the great cosmic battle that's happening between God and Satan at this point. Jesus says, I already know who won. I already know who wins. The ruler of this world, that's Satan, has been judged. It's done. There's no question about where we're going from this point on. And he said the mission of the Holy Spirit is to let people know the, the devil does not stand a chance. It's over. It's done. And it's the mission of the Holy Spirit to, to tell us that judgment is coming. It's a certain thing. Uh, the, the ruler of this world has already been vanquished. He, it's just a cleanup operation right now. And so the world has so many false ideas about judgment. One of them is that maybe you know, the outcome is still uncertain. Some of them think, well, judgment, the whole thing is just fantasy. The Bible is all fantasy. It's all fantasy. Don't worry about it. Just go ahead and do what you're going to do. Uh, some think it's, maybe judgment is so far away it'll not matter when it finally comes. Some think, well, you know, God's going to judge on the curve. Judgment Day is about God grading on the curve, and as long as I just keep myself above that, you know, that line, <laughs> I'm okay. After all, I, I'm probably a better person than a lot of people who go to church. So I don't have anything to worry about. They're going to church. They're going to be saved, and so I'm better than they are. And you're kind of thinking, okay, God's going to look at this, and he's going to grade on the curve. And that, that's the idea a lot of people have about judgment. And some think that... Okay, there may be a judgment, but I cannot imagine that an all-loving God would ever send anybody, even Hitler, to an eternal punishment in hell. That there really is no such thing as hell. There might, there might be a judgment, but don't worry about it. We're, eventually, we all get out. It's all right. Well, all these ideas are floating around in our world right now. And none of them square with what the Holy Spirit reveals in the Word. And it's the mission of the Holy Spirit to convict the world concerning judgment. 
Yes, it is going to happen. We know who wins. And at the end of life, as we cross from this place to the next, we are going to meet the Son of God sitting on the throne of judgment. He will be the one who is there. It's coming. The Holy Spirit is here to convince us of that, to convict us of that. And so that's, that's the, first, uh, the first one I wanted to get across here, that it's the mission of the Holy Spirit to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit's still busy doing that very thing today. Let's go on to number two here. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all the truth. Let's look at verses 12 through 15. The, here's where Jesus says, same occasion, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus had a lot of stuff we want to say to these fellows, but they just weren't prepared. Uh, the cross hasn't even happened. They, they, they haven't witnessed the resurrection. Jesus has got all kinds of stuff he wants to say to these fellows. But man, it would just blow their mind. They would never, they would never understand. They'd never get it together. They got to go, they got to see the cross. They got to see the resurrection. They got to have about 40 days of Jesus walking around alive. They got to have another 10 days of just thinking about it. And even as Jesus ascends back to heaven, it said, some doubted. They're still struggling to comprehend what this is, to buy it all. But here's where Jesus goes on. He says, I'd like to tell you some things right now, but you can't bear them. But when the spirit of truth comes, what? He will guide you into all the truth. He'll not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And Jesus is saying, basically, I'm going to be whispering in his ear. All the stuff I want to tell you now, I can't tell you because you're not ready. But when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit back. And I'll tell him the stuff that I would love to tell you now, but I can't because you're not ready for it. I'll tell him. And then he'll tell you. And what's more, if you follow this on down, he says, you know, Holy Spirit doesn't talk about himself. He listens to me, and guess what? The Father is talking to me. The Father is telling I have, uh, what the Father has is mine. The Father has told me what I know and what I think. And, and me, the Son, I'm turning around and telling the Spirit, the Spirit's going to turn around and tell you apostles. And then you get to tell the world. So he says, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, in the original context, something very special is being promised here. Okay, and I, and I just want to talk about that for, for a little bit. Something very special is being promised to the 11 here. He is promising them personal guidance of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, new revelation is coming, and it's coming to you. From me to the Holy Spirit to you. New revelation. Things that have never been heard before. The apostles did receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Fifty days after Jesus made that statement, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. They receive the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak by the Holy Spirit. Anyway, the apostles did receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. It, this whole thing begins to start. From that point on, the apostles are under, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. There's the promise. He will guide you into all the truth. That's what Jesus said to the twelve. When Jesus said to them, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all the truth, what did he mean? Well, here's one thing he meant. He meant that sometime before they died, sometime in their lifetime, they would receive all the truth that God had to reveal. Every bit of it. None left over. Everything that Jesus wanted to tell them before he left and couldn't, now is going to come later. And it's going to come through the Holy Spirit. It will be given to the apostles. In the things that they say, 
and the things that they do and the things that they write, we will learn what that truth is. All the truth comes in the lifetime of the apostles. John was the last apostle to die. He died near the end of the first century. And somewhere around that time, we can say with confidence that all of our New Testament was finally given. It was written down somewhere, preserved in some way or the other. Now, just to spin this out a little further, this rules out the possibility of new revelation after the time of the apostles. If, If the apostles got all the truth, there's none left over for anybody else to get. So when Joseph Smith comes along in the 1830s and says, guess what? I have some new revelation. The Book of Mormon. Look at this. And look at these tablets and all. No, no. I'm sorry. Either Jesus is right or Joseph is right. And it's Jesus is right, okay? We know. So that, that, that can't be. When the prophet Muhammad came along in the 7th century A.D., 600 years after, after the last apostle died, he says, hey, I'm getting more revelation. <laughs> and either Jesus is right or Muhammad's right. But they can't both be right. Jesus is right. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, don't know where, I don't know where that Koran came from, but it, it, it wasn't from God. It wasn't from Jesus. It wasn't from the Holy Spirit. And then we have about 2,000 years of the pronouncements of popes and councils and all this kind of stuff from, uh, from the Roman church. And, and Jesus said, you guys are going to get all the truth. You guys are going to get it. It's not coming. 325 or 687 or 1054 or uh, 1543 or whatever. Oh, there are dates where these big councils happen and the Pope makes pronouncements. And 1876 was another big year for, uh, for things that the uh, pronouncements and councils and things like this. Uh, all these things, uh, they're all after the time of the apostles. They can't be right. Galatians 1, 6 and 9. What, what Paul says in his letter to the Galatians is he says, guess what? What I've given you, you can't change it. You can't mess with it. You can't, you can't fix it because it doesn't need to be fixed. You can't revise it because it doesn't need to be revised. It's eternal and unchangeable. And so Paul, Paul writes to Galatians. He's mad at them because they've already started tinkering around. That's, a, that's what we do. That you give any human being something, and the first thing you want to do is start monkeying around with the screws and getting it out of adjustment and playing with this. And like, what if we do this? And what if we do that? That's just how we are. Paul said, don't do that. Not with the word of God. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. For what? A different gospel. What? We got a new gospel now? Which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There you are. You're cranking around on the screws and the adjustments and everything. But even if we are an angel from heaven. Even if I came back and told you something different. Or an angel from heaven came and told you something different. If they should come and preach to you a gospel contrary to. And there's a little footnote in my Bible for this word contrary. Contrary is how they translate. But the footnote says other than. Which means different from. It's not that it is attacking the gospel. It's just different. If I were to come and me or an angel were to come to you and preach to you a gospel. Other than what we have preached to you. He is to be anathema. That's what's behind the word accursed there. As we have said before, so I say again, now if any man is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have received, he is to be anathema. Paul is really getting upset with the Galatians about what's happening there. This thing, this gospel is eternal. It's unchangeable. 
So we look at the, at the last verses of the Bible, Revelation 22, 18 and 19. These are the last verses of the book of Revelation, the last verses of the Bible. Here we go. John says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, don't monkey around with it. <laughs> That's the uh, cotton patch version. <laughs> if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life, from the holy city, which are written in this book. He says, just, this is it. Leave it alone. Don't mess with it. And so, uh, that, that's kind of what I'm uh, uh, getting around to here. Let's go back to John 16, 12 through 15 now. When Jesus says he will guide you into all the truth, the guidance of the Holy Spirit meant that the apostles spoke the things that Jesus wanted said. And when the apostles spoke or wrote what Jesus said, it was the same as if Christ himself was speaking. And that's what this guidance of the Holy Spirit means in, in the original context. Our New Testaments exist as a result of that promise in John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. That's where our New Testament comes from. And that's it. And that's why we can't change it. Now, I said all that to say this. There is a sense in which the Holy Spirit is still guiding us in this present day into all the truth. Our New Testament is the result of the promise that Jesus made in John 16. And when we open up our New Testaments and we believe and obey what we read, we are being guided by the Holy Spirit into what? All the truth. The truth revealed by the Holy Spirit. Now here's the last one. This is John. It comes on down to verse 14. He will glorify me. This is something else the Holy Spirit is going to be doing, is doing now. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness judgments. He guides us into all the truth. And now we find out the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He glorifies the Son. It's the mission of the Holy Spirit today to magnify and glorify the Son. The Holy Spirit was not sent to glorify himself. He wasn't sent to glorify the church. He wasn't sent to glorify any particular Christian or any particular ministry or any particular preacher. The Holy Spirit was sent to glorify Jesus, the Son of God. When the Holy Spirit is at work in a church or in a Christian, the Son is the one who will be glorified. And if someone other than the Son is being glorified, we might go back and say, hmm, what's going on here? Someone fighting against the Holy Spirit? Someone, what's going on? Because it's, it's not being glorified here. It's like this guy here, or this church, or this whatever. The Holy Spirit's not, can't, be, can't be doing this because the Holy Spirit is about glorifying the Son of God. So, we're a great church. We're the, we're, we're the Sunshine Church. But I tell you what, we have to be careful about what we, what we do with that. Because there may come a day when the glory of this church becomes more important to us than the glory of the Son of God. And if that day comes, the Holy Spirit is not among us. He is not working in us. When we promote ourselves rather than the Son of God, we are working against the Holy Spirit. I remember reading this uh, uh, in 2001. 
Christmas of December of 2001, there was a letter to the editor in the Portsmouth Times. And I, I just happened to look at the paper that day and just happened to come to that, uh, that part of the paper. And I, I saw uh, this long letter that was there. And I looked at the name down at the bottom and I recognized I knew the guy. I knew who was writing the letter. And I, I, I knew. And so I, I want to read it because, you know, it's, I know him. And uh, it, it was a certain church that had been organized over in the Lucasville area that had done a Christmas party for a certain neighborhood in Lucasville. And I read with great interest what, what was going to be said about this Christmas party for the folks there. It was a long letter, and the preacher was pretty excited about what the church had done, pretty proud of it, and wanted to tell the, people, the readers of the Portsmouth Times what a great church they were. Uh, and what a great work they were doing, what great blessings were being received by the people who were involved. And, of course, if there's a great church, obviously you have to have a great preacher, like me. I'm being facetious, okay? <laughs> My jokes never work. <laughs> but it was, all, it was almost like a new day is dawning in Lucasville. Your redemption has arrived. All right, when a preacher or a church or a ministry spends more time and effort and money promoting themselves than they do the Son of God, obviously we're on the wrong track. We've crossed over into some area where we should not be. Jesus told us in John 12, 32, and this just goes along with what we, what we read just a moment ago from John 16. Jesus gave us the key there. He says, and I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Now, Jesus was talking about being lifted up on a cross. Uh, I mean, literally, that's, that's what he's talking about there. But there is a spiritual principle involved there that we need to take note of. And that is to say, when Jesus is lifted up, he draws people to himself. When, when people understand why Jesus is on the cross why he went there, why he did what he did, and how that involves them, he becomes the main attraction from that point on. And that's the way it's supposed to be. So in a nutshell, what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts us that we are wrong. Wrong about sin, wrong about righteousness, wrong about judgment, and we need to get it right. And once we're convinced that we're wrong, you know what? The next thing he does, he guides us into what's right. He guides us into all the truth. That's what our New Testaments are about. And the third thing he does, he's always turning the spotlight on Jesus, the Son of God. That's, that's who matters. That's the center of everything the Holy Spirit does. So in Acts 2, we have the beginning of, this, of the great ministry of the Holy Spirit in this world. Jesus, as I said, did 10 days before. The Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, and he begins to do exactly what Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would do. Peter preaches the gospel, and what happens? The Holy Spirit begins to convict that crowd. It says in chapter 2 and verse 37, he says, and, 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 and when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted that they were wrong. So Peter preaches, the Holy Spirit convicts. That's what uh, Jesus said he would do. And, they ask, and the people ask a question. They say, men and brethren, what are we going to do? We're in trouble. And Peter, by the Holy Spirit, begins to guide them into all the truth. 
He tells them what's right. And in the, the words he says there come directly from the Holy Spirit. And they are the same words that Jesus would have said if he had stood there and preached the sermon himself. I'm absolutely certain of that. If Jesus had stood there, he would have said exactly what Peter did. Because what Peter said came directly from Jesus. And so Peter guides them into all the truth by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And on that day, 3,000 people respond. 3,000 people publicly say, yes, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, that's the work of the Holy Spirit because the Son of God is being glorified. 3,000 people in one day stood up and said, yep, we believe it. We believe in him. If there is someone here today who's not a Christian, this is your day. I hope the Holy Spirit has convicted you. I hope, uh, I hope you've listened to the truth. I hope that you want to be a part of this, uh, of this thing where we all gather around the great Son of God who came to this world to die for us on the cross. He's the main attraction. He's, he's the thing that draws us to, to the Father. He's the pathway. He's the door. He's everything to us. We gather around Him and, we, and we, we're following Him to, to heaven. That's where he wants to take us. And if there's someone here today who wants to become a Christian, listen to the words of truth that Peter gave on the day of Pentecost. He said to those people, once they ask him, what are we going to do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what we say to you. If you, if you come before us today to say, I want to become a Christian, we'll ask you, we're going to, you need to repent. Are you ready to confess your faith in him? And if you are, then we're going to baptize you right now. I mean, everything we need to do is, is it's available. It's here. Let's stand and sing this hymn of